0: Good morning and what a glorious day to celebrate resurrection Turn me with me if you would to Luke chapter 24 Let's pray Gracious Father, we ask that you would speak to us this morning, speak to us from your word, help us to truly celebrate, not merely a a fact, but a reality in our own lives. Lord, we ask that you would work within us. That we, might, um, that we might more dearly appreciate what you have accomplished on our behalf, what you have done, that we might in turn become more faithful ambassadors for our King, the Lord Jesus, risen and triumphant over even our sin. We thank You for all this in His most precious name. Amen. Luke 24 and verse 1. The first day of the week at early dawn they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. The they being, if you look in the, Previous chapter, you'll find uh, some Marys and some other women. Um, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. They didn't believe Him. They weren't expecting Jesus to rise. Jesus had to convince them that He really had risen. And that's why He stuck around for 40 days. He had to give them many convincing proofs, that was something like 2,000 years ago. And at least in Western societies, although it's uh, becoming less common, it's still generally recognized that more people attend a church on Christmas and on Easter than on just about any other day of the year. Somehow, these two Christian high days continue to echo their importance in our largely secular and post-Christian society. Somehow, even people who have deliberately and consciously turned their backs to the gospel find an emotional attachment to these days and cannot help but celebrate. I don't know all of you, So it's possible that some of you may may be here, but still don't quite get it, don't understand really, why do we celebrate? You may have come here because of family or tradition or habit, but whatever the reason, we're glad you're here to help us celebrate the most important fact in all of human history, and what is probably the best attested event in all of antiquity. And by the way, if you take exception to my use of those superlatives, I'd like to talk with you before we leave this morning. I read this passage because we can't celebrate the resurrection without the eyewitness testimony in front of us. But before these people showed up in the story, there are quite a number of other characters in the Easter story. I mean, it all hangs together as one piece. Of course, there's the figure of Jesus. Jesus to whom we owe everything it was he who chose to go to the cross to bear the just penalty for my sin and for yours and he died there at the hands of expert executioners he shed his blood for our redemption But Easter would not be Easter without the fact of the empty tomb, because Jesus is not dead anymore. He's alive again, and even now he is interceding for us before God the Father. His resurrection that first Easter morning changed everything marks the turning point of human history. Jesus towers over all the other characters in the story. But then, there are a number of others that are familiar to us. There's Peter, whose love for Jesus got him into a situation beyond his courage to fulfill. And he denied that he knew Jesus. And there was John who was somehow in the high priest's courtyard at about the same time. There were Annas and Caiaphas and Pilate who all maneuvered for political gain without much regard to the intrinsic value of human life. There was these women including Mary Magdalene, who went to the tomb expecting to find a tomb. And were absolutely astounded that the tomb would be empty. It was unthinkable. And there was Thomas and a few other of the the disciples who simply would not be easily convinced that the impossible had happened. That Jesus could be alive again. But there's a tragic figure lurking in the shadows of the story. We get a glimpse of him a couple of times, but his time on the stage is brief, and then he's gone. Speaking of Judas Iscariot, we don't know very much about this guy. We know from John's account that his father's name was Simon, but then Simon's a pretty common name. Scholars surmise that his surname, Iscariot, was remember, people generally didn't use surnames at this period, but We call him Judas Iscariot. That Iscariot, it was probably a combination of the Hebrew words Ish and Kariot or Kiriath. Ish means man. Kiriath is the name either of a town or of a region in Judea. Not a whole lot of help. But if that's so, then we would translate his name as Judas, the man from Kiriath. Another possibility is that Iscariot identifies Judas as a member of the Sicarii. These were a group of assassins among Jewish rebels intent on driving the Romans out of Judea. And again, we, we simply don't have much information to, to say whether either of these is a valid conclusion. But also from John's Gospel, we discover that Judas was appointed treasurer of the Twelve uh, and that he became a thief, stealing from the very same treasury. But what would compel a man to sentence his closest friend to the most horrible of deaths imaginable. And on this point, the Scriptures are silent. The New Testament scholars have a wide variety of educated guesses, but that's all they are. The only points of fact that the New Testament gives us about Judas are that he was attracted to money, and seems to have been recognized as having some skill in managing it, which is why he was appointed treasurer, that he arranged, for whatever reason, to lead the arresting party to Jesus at night in exchange for a sum of money that was roughly the equivalent of the purchase price of a slave, that he later saw the error of his ways and tried to return the money, and that he took his own life at about the same time that Jesus was being sentenced. Judas Iscariot. Friend. confidant, Disciple. Treasurer. Thief. Traitor. If we carefully read the account that John gives us of the Last Supper we can see Jesus offering his love to Judas over and over again. And even though Jesus knew about it in advance, it must have broken his heart when Judas stepped out of the crowd of those who came to arrest him to betray him with a kiss on the cheek. Although none of the Gospels specifically mention the presence of Judas in any of Jesus' trials, and he had at least three, he must have been close enough to hear the verdict of the Sanhedrin condemning Jesus to death. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27 And verse 3 says, when, Then when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. They said, What is that to us? See to it yourself. And throwing down the pieces of silver into the temple... He departed and went and hanged himself. The name Judas will go down in history as being synonymous with betrayal. But there's a question we need to ask. When Jesus hung himself that day, what did he miss? And the tragedy is that because of his actions, Judas missed the whole point of the story. Just for starters, he missed the forgiveness that that Jesus alone can offer. Before Pilate finished questioning Jesus, Judas was dead. Before Barabbas was released, Judas was dead. Before Jesus was scourged, Jesus, Judas was dead. Before the crown of thorns was pushed onto Jesus' head, Judas was dead. Before they nailed Jesus to the cross, Judas was dead. The real tragedy is this, that when Jesus looked down from the cross at those who had mocked Him and spit on Him, when He saw those who had slapped Him and hit Him, when Jesus saw those who had pulled out His beard and had beaten Him, who had jammed that vicious crown of thorns deep into His forehead and nailed Him to the cross, when Jesus looked at the mob and cried out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Judas was already dead by his own hand. And yet the Bible clearly states that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, should not perish, but have eternal life. Or as Peter put it, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. You get it? The Lord is not wishing anyone to perish. Anyone. Not even a Judas. But just as it was Judas' decision to betray the Lord Jesus, so it was Judas' choice to die unrepentant and so to face the condemnation of a holy God. But to write Judas off and to suggest that Judas Iscariot could not have obtained forgiveness for his actions is a scary thought. After all, what does that then say about you or about me? Fortunately, the forgiveness that is available is not dependent on our behavior. And the issue of deserving it Never enters the question, the equation, or grace would not be grace. True, we are expected to live in moral perfection, that's the standard that God set before us, and we can never atone for past errors or past rebellion. So, even if I were to live in moral perfection from today onward, however improbable that is, I would still find myself in a deficit position before God. I would still be in need of forgiveness for my past. But the forgiveness of the Lord Jesus depends entirely on the grace of God. Grace is defined as unmerited unearned undeserved love or as one brother put it god's riches at christ's expense it's god alone who offers us forgiveness and that forgiveness is only the only conditions on that are our receiving of it as a free gift, our receiving of it by faith. That's it. It's given. But faith in this sense is far more than presumption. To presume on God's gracious forgiveness without an answering repentance is simply to delude ourselves And to compound our own sinfulness. And the ultimate end of traveling that road (coughs) eternal condemnation. You want it? I don't. One of the saddest points of the story is that Judas came so close to forgiveness. If we were to list the three three things that are required from us for us to experience the forgiveness of God, they would simply be the acknowledgement of our sinfulness, a turning from our sin, that is, repentance, and acceptance by faith of the forgiveness that is offered. It's that simple. And, you know, how close did Judas come? Well, He said it. I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. He acknowledged his sinfulness. Judas didn't try to justify himself or offer up excuses for what he'd done. I mean, he could have. Well, really, they knew who he was and it was just a matter of time until they came to arrest him anyways. Or well, how was I to know they were going to hurt Him, let alone crucify Him? But He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. But remorse can never take the place of repentance and faith. Judas was remorseful, but for whatever reason, he couldn't bring himself to ask God for forgiveness. Somehow he never considered that God could forgive him. Even though his Bible contained the sordid story of David and his adulterous relationship with Bathsheba and his subsequent murder of Bathsheba's husband and of David's forgiveness by God. Judas knew that. I'm sure he knew that. But he didn't act on it. And apparently, Judas died unforgiven. And three days after Jesus and Judas died, Jesus rose to life again. But Judas was still dead. As Christ appeared to the disciples after His resurrection, He made a statement that would never apply to Judas. John 20 and verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Judas missed the forgiveness of God and the peace of the Lord Jesus. Seems to have lived without it. And it would appear that he died without it. Jesus had promised his disciples in John 14 before they even got to as far as Gethsemane. He said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. But Judas didn't hear that promise because he had already left the gathering. And even then it was just a couple of hours until Judas' lips would touch Jesus' cheek in betrayal. I wonder... Was Judas struggling with his decision, even as the Lord Jesus spoke about peace? I wonder if even then he was craving a peace that would never be his. Now the world can never give you a peace, that peace, and that's one of the reasons why suicide is the second greatest killer of Canadians, aged 15 to 44. why teen suicide has increased so sharply over the past couple of decades. We look happy. And everyone may think we have the world by the tail, but we know deep down that it's just a lie. We alone know whether we have that peace. It's easy to externalize a piece to put on a mask. Felix Powell was the composer of the music for the World War I marching song, Pack Up Your Troubles in Your Old Kit Bag, Smile, Smile, Smile. It was once called the most optimistic song ever written. Powell died by his own hand about 20 years after he had written that music. In Canada, about 4,000 men, women, and children take their own lives every year. And while there are a variety of reasons, or at least a variety of occasions, often the key agreement, uh, key is that that person was missing a critical ingredient. Peace. Especially peace with God. A few years after the resurrection of Jesus, Paul wrote to the Philippian church. In Philippians 4 and verse 6, he said, Do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If you have that peace, if you experience it yourself, you know what I'm talking about. But have you ever tried to explain it? To someone who hasn't experienced it? They just look at you kind of odd. Maybe step aside a bit. (laughs) When most people talk about peace, they think about what's going on in the Middle East or about terrorist plots in Canada or Britain or various European countries. Or maybe... The Korean Peninsula, whatever. But the peace that the Bible talks about isn't just an absence of war. The Greek word for peace means to set at one again. In other words, it refers to what happens after the conflict is settled when the parties in the conflict have been reconciled to each other. It deals with primarily with broken relationships. When we are granted forgiveness through the grace of God, our relationship with Him is restored. We're brought to the place where we belong. Judas Missed that restoration. He was a man who was torn apart with conflict and the method that he chose to resolve the conflict, well, it didn't work. Suicide does not solve the problem. At best, it creates problems for everybody who's left behind. And it's very doubtful that Judas was able to say at the point of his death the same words that Jesus used at his point of death. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Judas didn't damn himself at the point of betraying Christ. Remember that Peter also had denied Jesus. But Judas most certainly damned himself when he refused to set the relationship straight. I'm convinced that had Judas sought forgiveness, the forgiveness that only the Lord Jesus can give, he would have experienced the peace that only Christ can give as well. Judas missed the forgiveness and the peace of Christ a third thing that he missed was power. One thing that most commentators will agree upon is that Judas appears to have been a fervent nationalist. He was looking for an end. I mean, he wasn't unique in that. Several of his disciples shared the same kind of sentiment. He was looking for an end to the Roman tyranny, an end to Jewish enslavement. And he thought the answer lay in Jesus. I'm sure that if you had asked Judas, what was the one thing that he craved? His answer might well have been power. Power to make a difference. Power to effect change. Power to get things done that needed doing. His pathetic demise might bring to mind a lot of other images, but power would not be one of them. When Judas came to an end of his, to the end of his relatively short life, he felt so powerless to cope with the events that engulfed him, most of which were his own doing, that he took what seemed to be the easiest way out, and he added to his sin, the breaking of the sixth commandment: "You shall not murder." Judas was so caught up in his own problems that he missed the one thing that he craved the most. On the evening of his betrayal of Jesus, Jesus had promised his disciples, When the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. When he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they don't believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father. And you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. But Judas didn't hear that promise. And then about 40 days after Judas died, after the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus reiterated the promise to the remaining 11 disciples. And he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And about ten days later, after that reiteration of the same promise, a power of unparalleled magnitude swept into the world. Judas missed the one thing that had driven his life, the quest for power. The power that Christ Jesus gave to His disciples was a world-changing power a power that could not be described except by using the Greek word dunamis, the same root from which we get words like dynamic or dynamite. you think it took any kind of power to raise Jesus from the dead? Did it take any kind of Exercise of power to move the two-ton stone from the entrance of the tomb. Resurrection power. That's what came into the world. The same power that Judas so desired but missed is available to every one of us this morning. Now the church in general today does not lend itself to images of power and we have been relegated to the back burner of society, if we get that far, we're no longer a force to be reckoned with. But, is that because the power of the Holy Spirit is any less available today, or any less powerful? Or is it because we fail to claim and to exercise that power or because we simply don't expect God to honor His promise. Judas missed a lot. He missed the forgiveness of Jesus. He missed the peace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. He missed the resurrection of Jesus that put the seal of God's approval on everything that Jesus said and did. The resurrection changed everything. And if Judas had only managed to hang on for another three days, everything would have been different for him. I'm here today to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way for you. All that Judas missed is available to you this morning. Christ's, available is just, Christ's forgiveness is just as thorough today as it was 2,000 years ago. You haven't done anything so vile that Jesus cannot or will not forgive you. The peace of God still surpasses understanding. The power the Holy Spirit, resurrection power, can still change our world as effectively as it changed the world of Peter and of Paul. Judas had to make a choice for himself. You'll have to make a choice for yourself as well. And Jesus is still here holding out his loving arms to warn you just as he was for Judas. How will you respond? What answer do you give him? What answer can we give him? But yes, in spite of what I have, in spite of what I've done, Yes, Lord. Father, we thank You. We thank You that You have made it possible for us to come to You. And Lord, we would lay our lives before You, that You would make them into a beautiful offering that we might exalt the name of the Lord Jesus who has done it all. That we might exalt the name of the risen Lord Jesus because He was crucified in our place and is risen and is now, even at this very moment, interceding for us before Your throne. Lord, we thank You. Thank You. Take us, Lord, and use us to Your glory and praise. For Jesus' sake. Amen.